we have intro music at Weird Grove. Welcome everyone and thank you for being here for this very special episode of Weird Growth. We, it's a podcast where we hear about all the strange and often unpredictable journeys that founders take on building a brand new business from scratch. Uh, this episode we are very privileged to have Daniel Burt, the co-founder and managing director of Golden West Brewing, which just so happens to be the very place we're recording this episode from tonight. How good is Golden West? We've got beautiful cold beer at the bar, an amazing kitchen with a lovely selection um, of food which we'll um, be able to sample later on tonight and here in the heart of Subiaco uh, on, a, on a cold June night but it's, um, it's a warm vibe in the room. Um, welcome Daniel, thank you very Thanks, much Cam. for being on Weird Growth mate. Thanks Cam, Thanks a lot. Please introduce yourself and what is this great place that we're sitting in? Uh, yeah, so this is uh, Golden West Brewing Co. As, it, as it's turned out. So um, we actually started our journey as uh, modular brewing. Uh, we, the, idea, the idea was going to be to put all of our equipment into a, a shipping container and then move that around to um, cheap places to rent out. Um, when that wasn't really feasible, we, we sort of merged um, into what we've created today, which is Golden West. But um, I'll go into a bit of that. Yeah, no, we'll definitely dig in, mate. Yeah, thank you. And, um, like, you know, this probably wouldn't really fit into a shipping container as it is, so it's no. going to be great to dig into that story. Um, before we get stuck into it, though, I have a quick pop quiz for you. Um, not that you have time, but theoretically, if you were to start from scratch a new business today, what would it, what would it be? Like, what industry would you be in if it wasn't something completely different? If I was to start a new business from yeah. scratch today, um, probably merchandise. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> you can uh, low like risk. Swag. <laughs> swag, yeah. Yeah, yeah. low risk um, can be sent from anywhere in the world to the customer, um, can be made on order, um, can be all done online so you don't need to worry too much about uh, costs. Massive overheads, yeah. staff. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. On, on demand stuff. No, no yeah. liquor licences or anything like that. Yeah. The Golden West swag, like now just in the community, you see it, people just walking down the street that have no connection with the, the beer brand that I know of and you see it everywhere. It's really cool to see. Yeah, that, um, that's, that's good. So we, we were really lucky that the, um, the Golden West logo was already made for us. It was made about 130 years ago um, and we were lucky to get that trademark. So um, when it came to the design of the merchandise, we kept it really simple. So basically... Just the logo on the front and something like Life is Golden on the back. Um, it is timeless, yeah. yeah. We'll talk about the brand because I think that's a really cool part of the story of mm. what you guys have created. But I'd love to hear the story about what the catalyst for starting a brewery was. Like back when you first began, when it was modular, what, what was the catalyst yeah. for it? Yeah, so um, one of the founders, um, Stu Nichols, who's uh, no longer a director but still very much involved in the brewery, um, he was brewing in uh, Kuala Lumpur. He was an expat. Um, he actually got into brewing because he moved to Holland and hates Dutch people. So he had, he had one other mate and they were like, we've got nothing in common. Do you want to start something in common? And <laughs> okay. so they started brewing together. And because um, is Dutch beer any good? Dutch, Dutch beer is really good. Right. Um, but, but they tend to borrow from like Belgium, Germany, France, yeah, okay. like, everywhere around them. So you kind of get the best of all the worlds around them. Um, and uh, his dream was to, to start a brewery, but um, 
like all smart people do, you don't throw all your own money in. You gather five of your mates and right. get them to throw in money, and um, we we bought what friends, fools, and family. Yeah, 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 exactly. So yeah, it was just just fools at that stage. Um, <laughs> I still feel like a fool. Um, but uh, yeah, so there, then we. Um, Kicked off in uh, just bootlegging out of a, a um, shed in uh, Burswood, um, basically just brewing on a very small commercial sta- uh, scale. And were you selling it at that point? Uh, not, not, not legally. legally. <laughs> not, not, <laughs> not strictly, no. Um, so, so your very first customers were your mates and your family, and it was basically yeah, exactly. So, um, so we weren't allowed to sell it, so we, so we didn't sell it. Uh, we we're just giving it away to our mates for for weddings and thirtieth birthdays. That's right. Um, so I don't remember one of, that. You're one of the first recipients <laughs> of uh, of one of our kegs, um, and and just consuming as much as we possibly could. So at, at that stage, uh, none of us had children. Um, so we, we had time on weekends to kind of brew for six hours and then drink for six hours. Yeah. Um, but those days are, are long gone now. And how did it progress from there? When did you realise that, hang on, this is something that people actually want and will pay for? Yeah, the, the, the whole way through the, the growth journey, we um, kept on referring back to organic growth. So um, if, if, it was, if there was something with the brand or something with the product that, that people didn't like and we didn't feel like it was going to be successful, we were happy to kind of call it quits there and then. Yep. Um, so moving from a, a bootleg brewery to a small commercial brewery was the, the first step. And um, so we set up in, in Newcastle Street in Leaderville, um, basically, just it was just making enough beer to, to make ends meet, yeah. um, just to see if we could build a brand and, and build a product line um, that was well liked, and um, we did quite well. We we won some awards and um, yeah, uh, brought in ammo to help design the uh, the beer labels and everything, and um, got that started. And then we we're really confident to make the next step. Yeah, um, I don't think I would have made that step, uh, gone from bootlegging to something like this. Um, with any sort of confidence, um, just because of... Uh, well, I think that known. startup people in the room um, would, you know, really relate to that, like that tight feedback loop between you and your customers and the product cycle is so important because if you're not making something that people even want, like, what's the point? Uh, and, you know, that sort of real grassrootsy way of product development can be so powerful because you're building it with a community mm. in mind. And so you've got that ready, set customer base who are just like, okay, when's your next one coming out? And I think this space, like beer and wine as well, when you've got a tribe around you and behind you, you know, you're just that much more powerful. It's not just throwing something into the ether and hoping it sticks. Yeah, um, and, and just to build on that, um, so we, we were operating out of, a, out of a warehouse where we couldn't actually sell to customers if they turned up. Um, so we didn't have any kind of shop fronts to get that immediate feedback. All of our feedback was coming through the bars that we were selling to. So they really were your first paying customers was bars. You were selling kegs wholesale, essentially, in yeah. for taps. Yep. Yeah, and, and we were getting repeat business, which was good. But mm. um, it wasn't actually until uh, COVID hit that uh, we decided to do a, a milk run, uh, a milk bottle run sort of uh, deal where um, people would buy a growler and then... Um, the next week would leave their growler out, we would pick it up and replace it with a, a full one um, that we realised that, hey, we've actually got something pretty special here. Um, so COVID was actually our most profitable time um, in our wow. existence. Yeah, and that was, yeah, so direct sales to end use, end customers and, you know, getting that almost like a repeat 
you know, ongoing revenue from them too. Um, exactly. Yeah, getting yeah, a yeah. measure on what the beer what was that was selling the best and things. So yeah, yeah. it was it was meant to be um, like a, a weekly thing. We sometimes did it twice weekly. Yeah. Um, but that was a real uh, instigator for, for upping our game. Uh, we realised that we couldn't keep up with demand and that we would need a brewer, and that's that helped us to um, pay for Tim as well as a delivery driver, um, so that we could focus more on developing something like this. Um, I didn't so actually, actually know that. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> so Without COVID, we probably wouldn't have existed. I was one of your best customers for the milk run, but I didn't realise that was the thing, that, the impetus that led you to that next step. That's awesome, mate. Um, we mentioned the Golden West brand, and it's something that people like to talk about and people probably of a certain generation recognise and people from our generation maybe don't. Um, what What is the background story to that? Yeah, so... Um uh, like I said earlier, we, we were modular brewing, we were going to be in shipping containers. Um, when we dropped that idea, we quickly needed to come up with something that was relevant. Um, and uh, so we, we did a bit of a word play and pulled some words out that kind of described what we wanted to be um, and came up with neighbourhood brewing. Um, neighbourhood brewing was taken by a group of people in uh, Fremantle. Uh, which is really disappointing, but from what I hear, they're, they're great people. Yeah. Um, so, so then uh, we, we went back to the drawing board and we're like, right, we want it to be West Australian. Um, we want it to, to speak for Western Australia um, and uh, went to the City of Vincent Library um, and found uh, some information on Golden West. Is that right? Um, looked up the, the trademark and found that Coke had bought it in the 70s um, and dissolved it and... Um, so we had this trademark that we bought uh, for about $400 in legal fees um, that contained about 130 years of brand equity. So Yeah, pretty and good, a connection uh, to the deal. community that, you, that you're operating out of. Yeah, exactly. So, so people get in touch with us because they're, they're doing renovations and they find old Golden West bottles underneath their house and, yep. and we've actually got some um, behind the bar. Yeah, um, so it was aerated up. waters <coughs> that you would get delivered to your house coming full circle and now it's a different type of aerated water but with alcohol in it. You know, getting delivered to pe- people's yeah, yeah. So it was uh, it was aerated waters with uh, acids was the the flavouring, okay. um, and we're actually going to bring that back. Uh, so we're going to do a seltzer and have uh, oh, different awesome. flavours that you can choose um, that are added behind the bar. So the seltzer will just be on tap. And for everyone who's in the audience, if you look behind you, there's a big picture on the wall which is of the original factory just over in Newcastle Street in Leederville. What uh, I love about that is the the signage back in the day. They didn't want to leave anything out. So it was Golden West, Golden West Company, manufacturers of high class aerated waters and brewed drinks, etc. Just in case you thought that they, that's all they did. All the designers in the crowd can probably relate to a client wanting to jam as much information into the given space <laughs> as possible, even if it doesn't look very good. Yeah, I will put a we'll put a screenshot of the photo on the um, on the YouTube. I'm sure for everyone to have a look at. Um, that's cool and I think my like as a kid I remember seeing guest G-E-S-T fizzy drinks in like action shops and stuff back in the day and I guess that was a Coca-Cola owned iteration of yeah, um, of Golden West. So, so Coca-Cola actually bought uh, Golden West just for the distribution in WA so, so they dissolved it pretty quickly um, turned it into guest and, and guest is G-E-S-T which is just the G of Golden and the Est of West. Um, I don't know why they, they shortened it, um, but then and, and then that became Kirk's. So um, a lot of the old Golden West um, uh, kind of flavours that you'd see in, in Kirk's were, were actually guest flavours and were Golden West flavours as well. What, what did it feel like when you realised people actually like what you were creating? 
from going from your backyard with mates to, you know, shipping a container. How did that feel at the time when you realised, hey, we're onto something? Um, I mean, the, the, the most fun, like, I've had in this whole journey has been going to beer festivals and, um, like, serving people but also talking about the beer and the, the beer process. Um, it's, uh, yeah, you, you kind of... You get really attached to it, and, and when somebody doesn't like it, it does kind of like go, s- go straight, straight <laughs> yeah. to your heart. But yeah, um, um, but yeah you, you quickly realise that tastes are different. People change tastes over time as well. Um, yeah, the, the the whole product thing, um, seeing a seeing a kind of initiative workout was probably um, more fulfilling. So when when the growler deliveries were working, right, um, but yep. not only working but building um, to the point where we, we we couldn't do it with one driver, we needed two drivers, and um, that was uh, probably more exciting for me. Yeah, can you describe the process behind that realization, and then okay, like what's the next step? How can we make? How can we be even more ambitious? And how did you do? How did you decide what to do next? Um. So we once we realised we had a, a kind of a, a product that was going to be popular, um, particularly in this area, um, we sat down and kind of had our strategic session. We'd, we'd probably have a one strategic session per year, um, yeah. review where we were thinking we were going, and then kind of put in some put in place some some goals that we can scratch off. So. Um, a, a big thing for us is literally it used to be on a chalkboard. Yeah, yeah. So I, I painted a chalkboard in our old brewery, and, yeah. and we just listed the things we wanted to achieve that year. Yeah. Um, and there's something really cathartic about like scrubbing them off, and and we'd like record each other scrubbing them off when we did them, Dopamine, and, um, yeah. and yeah, it was a, it was really exciting. Um, but yeah, the the decision to to go into something bigger um, kind of morphed, and um, it it I don't know, it it almost wrote itself. Um, we, we knew we had to have a brew pub if we were going to be successful as a brewery. And Why is that? Why uh, do you need to be a brew pub? For, for the margins. So, okay. um, yeah, we, we're not, we, we weren't going to get the investment to kind of be making 5 million litres per year and, and to make such a significant jump can put you under serious financial stress to the point where a yeah. lot of breweries collapse. And So when you're selling pints over a bar and food... And that sort of thing, you just—it's just that much yeah, more the, profitable as a business. The, the, the margin is instead of being around twenty percent, is more like eighty percent. Yeah, um, yeah makes sense. You're taking on more risk, but um, that that kind of gives you your, your financial basis to then grow and get more into the kind of wholesale market. Um, but you always need this sort of base to just like keep that revenue coming in. So you opened a brewery and a pub and raised money from investors during a pandemic what gave you the confidence or the lunacy to 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 take that on um so it was yeah friends family and fools um so we we yeah we our, our raise our raise was um probably 30 investors um a lot of them are close friends, so it's just my wife. Um, Sorry, you can ask her if you like, <laughs> but I'm sure we'd all have to hear it. All right. She'll be wondering where the remote was. I think Clementine. I might have taken it down with me. Um, yeah, to, so I, I, I don't know. I think I think the market was actually pretty good at the time. Um, COVID was largely untouched. It was it was during 
the early stages of 2021 that we did, the, yeah. that we started the, the raise process. Um, and, and that carried right through till kind of December 2021. Um, it, was, it was when we opened in December when um, COVID hit again and um, yeah, suddenly WA cases... Yeah, had lockdowns and things. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so we kind of had this great month for the first month and, you know, we were projecting, you know, skyrocketing and um, our, our sales went down about 25% immediately mm-hmm. for March, April, May... Um, but then again, being a, a local brewery was a, a good thing because we had enough attraction that people were coming back. Um, speaking to other businesses around Subiaco, some of them took a 50% hit um, and some of the other local ones were largely untouched. Yeah. And so what does it take to run a hospo venue at the moment in Perth? A very, very good operations manager. So, um, yeah. so our operations manager, uh, Kel, she came on as as a venue manager but um was quickly uh given about 20 hats to wear so um she was project managing the build because that ran over yeah um, she so has a build a facility as well yeah. as yeah so so building it from scratch so this was just a a bare warehouse to begin with yep um getting the getting all the kits set up getting working with western power to get that set up as well as hiring a completely new staff from scratch as well, um, at a time where it was really hard to get kitchen staff. Um, so yeah. really lucky that we got, we already had Tim as a head brewer, which was great. Um, but then she was able to find um, Sean as venue manager. We've got some great duty managers in support. And then DJ as a, uh, as a chef is a really rare find. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, but also we, we kind of gave the, gave the opportunity to him to, to do whatever he felt was right for the venue. Um, so rather than telling him what venue we wanted to be, um, we said, "What would you want to make it?" Um, and he's that's why he's made it. Uh, and I guess that's an attraction for you know a creative person who you know really prides themselves on quality and things as well. Giving them that freedom yeah. is a real draw card. Yeah, it was. Um, it's it probably doesn't happen in uh, hospitality too much, and it probably speaks to our lack of experience in this sort of thing. That um, we we didn't push him just to make. Uh, chicken parmies and, and burgers, um, but we knew that those options were in, in uh, plentiful around here. Yeah. So um, we didn't want to just be another Subi or Fenway. Um, we had to be something different, and um, what DJ's created is uh, like southeastern spices with European and Australian favourites, and, and it seems to be going really yeah, well. I love it. We're going to get to tuck into it pretty soon. Um, there's a little story which um, isn't... There's that comes from the tech world, Jeff Bezos, um, about breweries, weirdly enough. And um, I just thought I'd share it in this episode because, you know, we're sort of largely a, a tech growth kind of sp- thing where we're here sitting in a brewery. And when Jeff Bezos first announced AWS, which is actually the most profitable part of Amazon now, and it's the, it's the thing which took Amazon from just being an online bookstore to a massive global behemoth of a business, he he started telling this story about German brewers in the early 1900s. And he said, the best advice that I have for, um, for people in the tech space now is to focus on what makes your beer taste better. And everyone's like, what are you talking about, Jeff? And he's like, well, in the 1900s, the German brewers, they were first introduced to electricity. And these brewers who had always relied on just like a... 
a coal fire or a, just a normal fire to heat up their mash, or yeah. what do you, what do you, or whatever it is. Like, so yeah, they, yeah. there was the old school way that they'd done it since the 1500s, and all of a sudden electricity became a thing where they could heat up their their vats and and use machines to stir the mash or whatever it is. And so the some of the brewers went out and invested in generators and building their own machinery and stuff. And, um, you know, it cost heaps of money and it, made, it did put them ahead really quickly, but it, that advantage only lasted a year or two because after then um, the grid electricity started coming on and everyone had access to electricity. So all the competitors who hadn't outlaid all that massive capital for generators and machinery and stuff could all of a sudden compete and make even more beer um, better than these other guys down the road. And the ones that actually did better were the ones that just had better tasting beer. Who would have thought? But what Bezos's point was, was that these companies that focused on all the back of house stuff, um, which the customers never even knew if they had a generator or if they had a, you know, electric or fire boiled vat, it was the fact that they focused on what made their beer taste better and they were the ones who did better. And so up until about 2006, 2007, if you were a tech company that wanted to start a new app or some software, you had to go and invest in servers and your own like IT back of house people to run up a whole back end like infrastructure before you could even write a line of code, before you could put something in front of customers. And Jeff Bezos had that insight that if we were able to help people focus on what makes their beer taste better or focus on the product that they're building for their customers, and take away all the back-of-house stuff, which the customers won't ever know about, then there's going to be better products, and as a result, better beer. Uh, and, and, and the customers are going to have better value and stuff. So that was sort of like a you know, little anecdote from the brewing industry, I guess, and you guys you know, are able to tap into the power grid as difficult as it was <laughs> with dealing with Western power, but now you're able to focus on what makes your beer better. Yeah, um, it, that probably still rings true today. Yeah. Um, so that you can spend, you know, any anywhere from sort of uh, fifty thousand to five million dollars on kit. Um, wow. And you, if you go to uh, Marrickville in Sydney, there's there's a walk where I think you hit about eight uh, craft breweries in the space of about a, a kilometre. Wow. Um, and on that walk, you get to see the full uh, range of, of breweries and, and what they spend money on. Um, and you can see the ones that have had a lot of investment to begin with and, and they've got like double copper piping and, you know, you look at it and you're like, that that's completely yeah. unnecessary. It's no difference um, whatsoever. But, but super expensive. Yeah. Um, and then you see the, the early kind of really craft ones that have kind of yeast and water on the floor and you're kind of standing in amongst it um but the the one that stands out is um wildflower um, oh, which is yeah. it, you, you go in there and there's no equipment at all um so they, they've just got uh wooden uh wooden barrels um and they get a uh, beer wort delivered then the yeast from the the area mm. where it's brewed um just naturally creates the flavors um, and so you're in what looks like a, a wine a winery, yeah. Um, and it's a dirt floor, wooden, um, yeah, a wooden building, yeah. Um, and they seriously just focus on uh, what they do best. And yeah, that's yeah. Cr- yeah. I've never been there, but I have had wildflower beer before. And if anyone ever has the opportunity to try it, it is 
probably the closest thing you could have to a wine, which is a beer, but it's absolutely incredible. It's just a completely different experience. Yeah, yeah. so it's, a, I guess, a, a true sour. So um, yeah. the, the sours that you would have from Perth would be kettle sours, uh, which are artificially made, but yeah. um, low risk, uh, whereas they make them high risk from yeast that are just in the air. Um, so it can go very wrong, um, but uh, as we found out with Wildflower, can go very, very right, very right. and they do it uh, consistently. What could possibly be next for the future for Golden West? For Golden West? Um, so, the, yeah, we, the, the whole organic growth is about um, achieving a step and then moving on to the next one. Um, I feel like if we had been looking too far into the future, we never would have gotten here. Yeah. Um, and so the, the first step when we were back at um, Newcastle Street was to uh, have a profitable month. Um, so just to make sure that we're, we're selling all of our stock um, and, and doing that consistently. Um, and if we, had have, if we never had have gotten there, then we never would have um, you know, uh, gone to this next phase. So the, the next stage for us is to um, make this um, as profitable as can be. Then, um, then we'll expand our uh, wholesale distribution. Sure. Um, and uh, we're looking at the markets that are, are most ripe for the taking. Um, right now, down south is flooded with excellent beer. Um, it's, it's a really hard market to break into. Um, but we're finding that going north is uh, quite quite profitable. Yeah, um, you're in so Broome at the moment. Yeah. Some pubs, yeah. Yeah, nice. so um, so we've had uh, Broome, Caratha, um, we, we've got a mate in Geraldton who keeps putting the hard word on uh, local pubs there to, to <laughs> yeah. get our beer up there. Um, oh, it's just a shame you're going to have to spend more time going north into the good weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a tough sell. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, we're just we're just finding that the um, the tastes are changing uh, as you go further north. It's it's not just uh, Swan Draft and Great Northern. Yeah, um, there is there is markets up there, um, but we're also finding that Southeast Asia um, is quite a good market for WA beers. Well, wow. um, that have been set by by Beer Farm and Rocky Ridge who have set up distribution lines. Um, so they're kind of paving the way for, for WA beers to make their own name up there um, rather cool. than just the eastern That's states exciting, taking yeah. it all. Awesome, putting the sort of brewery lens over and maybe the hospital lens over things, what, what's a piece of advice that maybe people in the tech or startup space can learn from what, you're, what you've learned over this um, time? Yeah, so at, at each step we, we sought as much advice as possible. Um, so from... From all sorts of people, so uh, we didn't seek advice just from highly successful people. Um, we spoke to a lot of people that failed um, to understand what led to their failure. Um, and uh, when when you're offering free beer, ten, people tend to come and um, what a surprise! Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, my advice would be to to take us to listen to as many people as possible, um, and then cherry pick the advice that's relevant to you. Um, not all advice is going to be relevant um, and some people are going to give you bad advice because they've, uh, they just don't have the good advice in them. Yep. Um, but uh, by listening to as many people as possible, uh, yep. we're able to figure out what, what's actually going to work and what's going to fail. Gives that broad um, spectrum. Yeah. yeah. So I, I feel like um, because there's, there's uh, four directors, um, knowing what works is, is one thing, but... Being able to identify a bad idea quickly and stamp it out um, is probably just as important. Yeah, thanks, mate. All right, well, we're getting to the end of the episode. Uh, one of the things we always do on Weird Growth is a little show-and-tell time. Um, so 
we ask for what's your favourite tool or device or toy that's, that improves your life right now? Yeah, um, so I, I, I'm, I'm into peak periods. So I, um, I, I know that I'm most functional first thing in the morning. Um, I've got a, a one-year-old who wakes me up generally between 4.30 and 6.30. Um, but with my peak period being in the morning, I now just accept that I'm going to wake up at 4.30. Yep. Um, so any time that I get before he wakes up is, is bonus where I can actually get work done um, uninterrupted. So um, the the tool for my productivity <laughs> at the moment is a one-year-old, which sounds so counterintuitive. Um, but, yeah, Charlie's a great sleeper. And, um, yeah, so I'll wake up, I'll do the morning shift and um, get, get what I need to get done early in the day and then um, send out uh, requests to the directors or, or Kel um, for the rest of the day so that it's ready for the next morning. Yeah. As a father of a four-month-old, I would probably say the results may vary <laughs> depending on whether or not a little one's going to make you more productive or not. Um, mate, thank you. If What's your final ask, final plug? If anyone's more interested in learning more about Golden West, what should they do? Um, I think, uh, yeah, the, the big thing for us has been organic growth and, and just being flexible. Um, we... We, we, we took on the, the milk bottle run idea at the drop of a hat and because we were all flexible, uh, we thought, you know, what have we got to lose? Um, so we just gave it a shot. Um, and then we had enough people around us to, to help actually deliver on that. Um, if we were inflexible and, and totally, uh, you know, linear in our approach, then we never would have made that sidestep um, and we, we probably never would have gotten Tim and, and, you know, one thing led to another. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think uh, it, it's look for organic growth and and be flexible in in your site. So yep. whilst you might have a five year plan, um, just be aware that that's going that might change quite considerably, um, and it's going to be determined by forces out of your control. Yep. So if anyone wants to experience Golden West, they should obviously come down here to Subi first and foremost. Uh, are there other bars? What are the other sort of places you can go and check out? And yeah. Experience the. Um, so we, we've only just started using the equipment. Um, so we're, our, our wholesale distribution isn't isn't particularly fantastic. Um, so we've just been uh, delivering to our mainstay um, bars. So uh, the Cot Hotel, um, Dilly Dally uh, across the road. Yep. Um, Stanford Barbers have oh. been longtime supporters. Yeah. Um, which is which is really interesting. Um, and also Lala Rook in yep. the city. Um, yeah, perfect. Stockers. Yeah, yeah. CBD. Yeah. yeah. We'll and I'm sure we'll see cans and fridges around the place soon. Yeah, so the, the, the next thing is to get cans together. Um, yep. and, and Kel's really pushing for that. So um, Exciting. Yeah. That's great, mate. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being on Weird Growth. Um, really appreciate you having us here. I'm not going to stand between everyone here and a beer any longer um really appreciate the chat mate thank you for for having us here and being on the show always thank you very much and thank you all for coming along really great having you here and thank you to everyone who's listening on the podcast or watching on youtube um if you enjoyed the episode please do subscribe leave us a review all that sort of stuff uh, give us a like um but until next time i'm cam sinclair this is weird growth thank you and bye-bye